Hello, my name is Ben Jenkins. Welcome back to another episode of the ACN Podcast, the official podcast of the Australian College of Nursing. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Rosemary Boland. Rose's clinical specialty is within neonatal intensive care and retrievals. For the past 20 years, Rose has been a nurse educator for Piper, the paediatric infant perinatal emergency retrieval service for the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Rose is a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne, is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, and is the director of her own health education business, Precious Care Australia. I came away from recording this episode feeling incredibly inspired by Rose's career and attitude towards our profession. Rose is a true professional and a positive advocate for both nursing and midwifery. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Rosemary Boland. Rose, welcome to the ACN podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to be on today. Gosh, thanks so much, Ben. I'm really um, looking forward to having a chat and um, it's been fantastic listening to some of the other sessions that you've had with other people. I've really enjoyed them. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll just sort of just mention before we hit recording today, just how many hats that you that you wear. When I um, look at your career, I see someone who has been able to have such incredible clinical experience, particularly in the areas of neonatal intensive care and to do with paediatrics and retrievals. And then you've gone into a very much of an academic focus as well, where you've been in your position with Piper now, which we'll get into in the Edspeth so today exactly what that is uh, for close to 20 years. And then you've got into such incredible work when it comes to uh, academia as well. So I'd very much like to talk about, I guess, quite a lot to do with that today. But before we get into that, I'd sort of like to start each episode by getting a bit of a, an idea of how you got into nursing and how sure. you ended up here today. Sure. Actually, I always talk about serendipity because sometimes opportunities come your way that you're not expecting and you don't plan. And then you look back and you think, gosh, that was a bit of a, you know, in a sliding doors moment. So um, I originally trained um, in Sydney and that was where I was born and grew up. And um, at the time I went into nursing, it was the late, uh, no, it was the early 19, oh God, 80s. And um, it was just when um, college education or university-based education was starting. So most of my friends were going through hospital training and um uh, there was an opportunity for me to go and do the first um, Bachelor of Nursing course at what was then Cumberland College of Health Sciences um, out at Lincoln. It's now part of Sydney Uni. And I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to be with my friends in the hospital system. But um, it was actually my mum and my auntie who convinced me that getting a university education would open other doors for further opportunities. And so um, off I went um, to Cumberland College and um, I did what was then a four-year program um, and exited with a Bachelor of um, Applied Science in Advanced Nursing. And uh, I finished that um, back in 1989. And um, short, so shortly after that, I was working in bone marrow transplant haematology um, at um, the Alfred. And then, um, like many people, my interest had always been babies and, and women and birth. And so then I, um, having done a university course, then went and did hospital-based training for midwifery because at that point there wasn't any university-based midwifery education. Um, so I did that, absolutely loved it, and found myself at the end of my rotation, of my final rotation for mid um, in the special care nursery and realised that was where I really wanted to be. So um, I then went off and decided to go to London for a six-week holiday and that I would then come back and settle into job working um, as a midwife. So off I trotted to London, and uh, this was now 1990. And um, after I'd been in London for two years, <laughs> uh, my parents said, are you ever coming back? 
And um, I've been doing some agency work in London, um, waiting for my UK registration to come through. And so I was doing private nursing um, for some very interesting clients, lords and ladies and um, uh, journalists from the BBC. Um, and then I eventually, my UK registration came through, so I was able to work as a, a nurse and a midwife. And I worked at St George's Hospital um, in South London, um, picked up a dreadful South London accent um, and really found um, I, I just loved neonatal intensive care. So I was going to do the course there in London. I was offered a position on the course. And at the same time, I had also applied for a Master of Nursing at UTS and uh, got into the program at UTS at the University of Technology in Sydney. And... Um, then deferred it because I was in London and then the following year they offered again and I deferred it because I was still in London and then the third year they said to me if you don't take it this year we're going to give it to someone else. Um, so with that I decided to come home um, and started my master's degree um, in neonatal intensive care in uh, 1994 um, and at that time I was working at Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney as a um, eventually a clinical nurse um, specialist and um, absolutely loved it. And from there, I knew I would never go back to doing mid. I'd never, ever go back to doing adults. Um, I'd really found my, my calling was um, neonatal intensive care. And so after um, a number of years of working in the unit at Royal North Shore, I um, really wanted to do um, what's called NETS in Sydney, up in Queensland. It's Res Q and um, over in Perth, it's WANTS, but we're all the same. Um, uh, newborn intensive care or neonatal um, transport. And so I applied to the Sydney team um, and at the time they wanted someone who was a midwife and also had paediatric training and also had neonatal intensive care. Uh, and I didn't have the triple threat, I only had two. So um, I applied and I didn't get the job. And so then I decided that I would write to the, <laughs> you'd never do it these days, but I wrote <laughs> to the director, the medical director of the team in Melbourne and said, this is what I want to do. Um, do you have any opportunities? And um, he said to me, actually, we do. We've got a job coming up, so why don't you apply for it? And uh, so I, much to my parents' horror that I was about to leave again, um, I did apply for the Melbourne team, um, and that was in 1998, and I was offered a job as a neonatal transport nurse um, with the Newborn Emergency Transport Service. So I moved down to Melbourne, and the idea was that I would stay for a year, 18 months, maybe two years, and then I would go back to Sydney and try and get a job on the Sydney team. That was 22 years ago last week. <laughs> so I'm still with the team. They've changed their name. We're now called Piper. Um, so it's the Paediatric Infant Perinatal Emergency Retrieval Service. Big mouthful. So, But now we do babies, infants um, and maternal perinatal um, uh, uh, consultation and retrieval. Um, and I, I absolutely adore it. So I've never been able to leave. So, um, yeah, last week was the 150th anniversary of the Royal Children's in Melbourne and 22 years for me at Piper. Yeah. And people stay in Sydney. Are you ever coming? <laughs> uh, yeah. Saying, please, please come back. <laughs> I never quite made it back. Um, and then my next uh, kind of serendipitous or sliding doors moment was um, having been at Piper for many years and I'd moved then into becoming an educator. So I was one of the statewide educators, um, going out to hospitals around Victoria, um, providing education predominantly around neonatal resuscitation um, for allied healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, midwives, paramedics. Um, and 
<laughs> some crazy notion in me decided that maybe I should pursue more education. And at the time, um, Professor Lex Doyle, who is um, a leading perinatal um, researcher, um, a paediatrician by trade, um, he was looking for a PhD student. And so I went to see him and uh, expressed my interest in doing a PhD with him. And um, he asked me what I was really interested in. And I said, well, I'm really interested in babies and particularly those born um, in small hospitals or regional hospitals who end up being transported by Piper. And um, can we improve outcomes for these babies? And why is it that they um, uh, really don't do well, many of them? Um, what can we do about that? And um, he looked at me, he said, well, then that's what you'll do your PhD in. So I found myself at Melbourne Uni in 2010, um, enrolled in a PhD, um, and I finished that in 2005. And then um, I was lucky enough to get a, a five-year postdoctoral fellowship at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, which is my second hat. Um, and I also have a part-time role as a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne, um, coordinating the neonatal intensive care course. So that, in a nutshell, Ben, is my crazy life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's brought you up to the 20-something years up until where you are right now. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's absolutely incredible. I, I love that you've known straight up, uh, you've come straight out of uni and you knew that you wanted to go into, into caring for children. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I just found my niche, I think. I just, um, I just loved it. I still love it. So. Absolutely. And it's very evident that you do love it because you're so <laughs> passionate about it. And I love that you said that you, you knew that whilst you have obviously practiced as a midwife and you've gone through that stage, you knew exactly where you wanted to go. And now you've just yeah. pursued that with 100% yeah. of your energy and, and here yeah. we are. But also, as I said, then opportunities came along that I hadn't envisaged and that I hadn't thought of and I didn't know would happen. And that's been one of the nicest things I've enjoyed about my career is that um, things have happened along the way. Um, and an example of that is um, we started uh, when I was in um, a couple of years into Piper, became very interested in um, paramedic practice. And um, so then... You know, a few years later, I now help um, with ambulance develop guidelines, consult on equipment for them, um, help them um, with training, develop learning packages for paramedics. I've written a textbook chapter, just written a second one. Um, work really closely with them um, because that's an area of practice, obviously extremely preterm birth in the pre-hospital environment. It's just fraught with additional challenges, both in terms of the retrieval, the stabilisation, um, obviously the outcomes of the babies. Well, that, of course, then sparked a research interest in, well, should, maybe we should report the outcomes of these extremely preterm babies who are born um, inadvertently at home or en route to hospital. So that opened another research door. So, um, yeah, it just uh, it just keeps going. <laughs> it never stops. Absolutely. Yeah. No, There's always more questions to be asked. Oh, absolutely. I knew that that was the first time I had been exposed to Piper was going through was Monash Uni and being exposed yes. to the par paramedic yeah. side of things doing the double yeah. degree coming yeah. in and so speaking about needle the resource. Yeah, I did a lot of lecturing um for um the um what was MUCAPS but now the Department of Community Emergency Health and Paramedic Practice down at Monash. Um and so I've lectured for them for a number of years and um made some fantastic friends through the process and yeah, so I really enjoy the work with ambulance and that's something that I never would have seen happening as part of my role. So um, that's been great collaboration um, with Ambulance Victoria and, and the teams there. Mm. Would you say that your uh, approach up until now has been that you've waited for opportunities to come to you or would you say that you've seeked them out? Uh, both. Okay. Um, definitely seek them. 
Um, you can't just sit and wait for things to be handed to you on a silver platter. That's not life. Um, so I'm always open to opportunity, um, probably too much sometimes. I've, I haven't learned to say no very well. Um, but that's been um, fantastic. And sometimes you just get tapped on the shoulder, but then you've got to make that effort to stand up. And um, I guess so an example of that is um, I've been quite involved over the years with um, the Perinatal Society of Australia and New Zealand as an active conference participant and I'm going along and um, a few years ago someone tapped me on the shoulder to join the early career research um, group and um, so I did although I didn't feel that you know I was kind of worthy enough and um, so then after five years on the group I became the chair of that for um, the whole society and I've had that oh. just step down from that role because you can only hold it for two years so again with that that just um, was an amazing opportunity for a neonatal nurse to be the chair of um, the society's um, early career research group and to try and um, create um, opportunities and activities for early career researchers from all disciplines uh, within the society and um, organise conference events and um, you know, all the things that go along with um, that role. So wouldn't have seen that coming, but it was um, uh, an opportunity that, again, kind of found its way to me, but then um, I was prepared to you know, grab it and run with it and try and make something of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, to research as well, we sort of mentioned that you've, you've gone through, you completed your master's degree after quite a number of years of clinical experience. And then you've got more experience, especially within FIFAR and all the other roles you do. And then you've gone into the PhD. Was it that you just wanted to know more questions? What, what sort of got you interested in, in the world of academia? I think, you know how you always, and you would know this, in clinical practice, you always speculate or you suspect something. You think, I think we're seeing trends in this or, you know, it seems to me we're noticing this happening more or... Um, so it was really um, based on that um, and just that there were so many questions with, um, with, especially in retrieval and of small babies that I just felt that despite the fact our equipment was getting better, we had better aircraft, we had a much better cot, we had much more capability on the transport cot in terms of being able to do um, nitric or, um, you know, some of those other procedures. And I just kept questioning to myself, why is it when all the equipment and the technology and the drugs and um, everything is getting better, why aren't we seeing that reflected in better outcomes in these babies? There has to be something missing. So it was really driven by a clinical question and clinical practice and that informed the research question, and that continues to be, um, for me, the way it's always been. The clinical practice drives the research, and the research informs the clinical practice, and then it goes round again um, in a circle, and then more questions come out, and then you... Um, yeah, so it's a never-ending... For me, it's just... Um, it's a very um, nice symbiotic relationship, if you like, the clinical practice and the research. You can't separate them, in my mind. And the education. But, yeah. <laughs> they Absolutely. All go and you're, and you're able to maintain this as well now. So you've gone through, you're, you're doing your obviously academic work and you're leading many papers. And at the moment, you're working on a big five-year postdoctoral program. Yeah. Uh, you, you have that sort of heart. You're then teaching on the side. So you have the educator role. You maintain your educator role with Piper as well as you're still maintaining your clinical sort of currency as well. Uh, very difficult to do that. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that must be so hard. But... time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was one hard thing, but um, you can't be everything. You can't, 
it's very hard to have everything. And so I had to at one point say that um, it's okay to let go of the clinical side in order to be very, um, to focus my attention on education and research um, and that I just couldn't have it all, I couldn't do it all and do it all well. So, um, but that was hard when I, when I um, relinquished that clinical side. I haven't been up in an aircraft or a helicopter for years now and I still do miss that. Um, but for me, um, that's something I've um, let go in order to focus on the other work that I do. Yeah. But yes, there's still moments where I really miss it. <laughs> not the night oh. shift and not the on-call oh. and the recall. No, absolutely no. <laughs> After the many <laughs> years you would have spent doing that. <laughs> Did that for long enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the challenges now, and I'm sure many um, people in all professions, um, like myself, the challenges we face is that um, we may have a huge desire to do research and many questions to be answered and uh, motivation and people around you who want to participate in that. But finding funding is really challenging um, and becoming more and more challenging. Um, and so therefore people, I, I know within my profession and, and other um, allied healthcare professionals, that people um, then rely on having teaching jobs or academic jobs um, because they cannot get full-time research funding or funding for their projects, no matter how you know important or good their projects might be, and that's just part of the reality of research now in Australia. That the the, the research pie, if you like, is um, only so big. It's not getting bigger, but the amount of people competing for a piece of the pie um, is getting bigger. And so um, it's not that projects don't get funded because they're not good projects. It's just that there are so many good projects, so now it's the best of the best that get, get the money. Um, so that's really hard because, um, uh, you know, I've just, you know, to be completely frank, I've had five years in a row of trying for NH and MRC and I have not been successful. Um, and that becomes a bit demoralising when you put your heart and soul in it and believe in what you're doing. But you just kind of pick yourself up and dust yourself off and say, okay, well, let's look for the next grant or the next little kitty of money or um let's just keep teaching <laughs> yeah so if you have someone now who's who's wanting to push into the into this world as well sort of mentioning the challenges that you're facing right now what yeah. sort of advice would you provide to them uh, i think two things um get yourself in with a, a very well established research team because you need collaborators and you need fantastic mentors um you cannot do this alone um, you will not succeed if you're trying to do this by yourself. You need to be um, um, a bit more um, open, a lot more open, I think. And if you can um, find a team of researchers who are doing research in the area that you're interested in and who can guide you and mentor you, provide you with what we would call sponsorship opportunities as well as opposed to mentorship. And by that I mean um, they might... Um, say, oh, I'm going to put you forward to go and give this paper or to, um, they might say, oh, I can't, I don't have time to review this paper, but I'll get you to do that or I'll put your name forward for this. Um, I'll put your name forward for membership on this committee when I step down from it. So that's a really important part, um, I think, of being able to succeed. Um, so, yes, you need good mentors, a great established team, um, people with track record. <laughs> um, that helps for sure um, 
and uh, you've got to be pretty persistent and you've got to have um, a lot of resilience and be prepared for a lot of knockbacks um, and to literally be able to say, okay, it's not me that's terrible or my research that's terrible and to be able to just say, okay, I'm just going to try again. So um, resilience, I think um, that's the that's the things I've learned: patience, resilience, and um, perseverance. I'm really glad you, yeah. you said all that too, because I know someone like I know I'm coming through. So so Rose, I'm in my third year now of being a registered nurse. I have yeah. all these big aspirations for my career, what I'm trying to push to, and I and I feel this is, I said this a couple of episodes now. I feel that the people coming out of you now have this sort of expectation on themselves that. We do need to accomplish all these different things. We do need to wear yeah. 17 different hats and get into PhD if we want to go and teach back at uni. So yeah. I feel it's just something that we is, is sort of driven into us from the start. And it's, but it's, it's so good to hear your, your comments on that. It's interesting, Ben, because I didn't start my PhD till I was 45. And um, I had a lot of friends at uni who were um, in their 20s, who were straight out of uni, who'd done sort of uni honours, now we're coming into PhD, extremely bright, way smarter than me um, and doing incredible work. Um, and it was interesting when we were taught because um, when we finished, um, when there was no research funding or not a lot of um, postdoc opportunity, of course, I could always work as a nurse. On any given weekend, I could pick up a shift in the nursery or I could, um, you know, I was always guaranteed that I would have a job because I had... Um, I had a career, I had an established career. But what the younger researchers found was they were coming out, finishing uni, had their PhD, and they were like, well, what now? And um, where do I go now? And so some of them um, found themselves um, really struggling. So I don't think you have to rush into um, a PhD. I don't think you have to map out your whole career when you're 22. I think sometimes sitting back and just letting it happen a little bit um, is not a bad thing. Um, I don't, I think there's pros and cons of starting late versus starting early, um, but I think it doesn't hurt to know um, where your um, research interests lie or your passions really lie. And that only comes with time and experience and opportunity. Um, so I always say to my students at uni, um, you don't need to have all the answers by the time you finish. You don't need to have your whole career mapped out in front of you. And if you're open to opportunity, um, they will come, opportunities will come your way. And you won't see them coming, but grab them. Hmm. Now, Rose, I probably have a few people listening to this right now who are just begging me to ask you more questions around the area <laughs> of Pipe, around Piper, uh, specifically, like, what is the role of a paediatric retrieval nurse? How, how, what, what can they be doing to be able to push their way into that sort of area? What sort sure. of advice would you provide? Yeah. So um, Retrieval now, um, most, in fact, all the teams pretty much around Australia have now combined their neonatal and paediatric teams. Um, traditionally, the neonatal teams will look after babies who are sort of up to around six kilos um, and sort of um, a couple of months old, particularly for ex-prems. Paediatric teams then manage the sort of infants right up to the, you know, 16, 17-year-olds. And they are... Um, <laughs> you know, different beasts, if you like. Um, and then on our team here in Melbourne, we also have perinatals, so um, maternal emergencies. Um, so, again, women presenting to rural regional hospitals with complications of pregnancy who need a bed in a tertiary centre, need to be transferred to a tertiary centre, and that might be by fixed-wing aircraft or um, road ambulance, depending on where they are. 
So the role of a neonatal, well, to get into retrieval now, obviously um, you need a, a fair bit of experience. So um, we would generally like five years um, of post-grad after completion of a specialty course. So someone would become an RN and then they would do their neonatal intensive care training. And then uh, we would generally like that they're about five years um, experience. And the reason for that is, as you would know, when you're up in the helicopter or the fixed wing aircraft, it's you um, and a doctor. Um, so you're not only having to draw on all your nursing skills, you also now need to learn aviation physiology. You need to understand the effects of the various um, physics laws on, you know, gases expanding, what happens at altitude. And, um, you know, if you're in 100% oxygen on the ground, you've got nowhere to go once you're up at 17,000 feet in terms of oxygenation. Uh, gases expand, so if you've got a baby with a pneumothorax, you need to drain it before you take them up to altitude. And if the equipment breaks down, you can't just call the BME and say, can you come and fix the cot? You have to fix it yourself, or you have to improvise. Um, you have to be able to think on your feet. And so you are a jack of all trades. You are um, a nurse, and you're a bit of an engineer, and you're a problem solver, and um, you're a parent look at, you know, looking after the parents and um, often training with the younger doctors to teach them um, uh, the, the nuances of, of um, aviation medicine. Um, so it's not something that someone can come straight out of the NICU course, for example, and just jump straight into. Yeah. Many of the staff on the team combine a, a retrieval role with also working in the hospital. So they might do a week on retrieval and then a week in PICU or NICU to keep up their acute skills in the neonatal or paediatric intensive care unit, but also keep up their retrieval skills. So some people combine the roles. Um, some people just work full-time in retrieval. Um, so here in Victoria, we um, do around um, about 1,500 emergency retrievals and then um, just under 3,000 back transfers per year. Um, so it's quite a few. And we'll have yeah, days where they might be done. And then we might have um, five on the go at one time. So, again, it's about um, priority and triaging and who's the sickest baby or who's in, which baby's in the least resource unit. They might not necessarily be the sickest, but if they're in a small country town that has a GP practice, no infant ventilator. Um, so it's, it's an exciting career. Um, it's certainly not one where you work the shift times you're rostered to, um, because if you finish at three o'clock in the afternoon, but you're 400 miles away out in some country hospital, you can't just say, well, I'm finished now. <laughs> Um, and there's a lot of overtime and there's a lot of recall, um, but it is a very exciting job. Um, you never know each day where you're going to be, where you're going to end up, what you're going to see. Um, so it's um, for people who like the bit of adrenaline rush, um, they love retrieval. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. And of course, then there's roles in education um, and in policy and um, guideline development. So it has, retrieval has many facets, not just the actual clinical side of it. Absolutely. Thank you, Rose. So now that you've taken up all of this experience, you've <laughs> encapsulated all of the years that you've done, all of the academia, all of yeah. everything, you've then started up your own sort of company, Precious Care, where, yes. you, where you're the director. Can you talk about yes. that one a little bit more? Yes, I'm the director, the sole employee. <laughs> uh, 
I have meetings with myself. I agree with myself a lot. That's good. Um, so this was really born, uh, pardon the midwifery pun there, um, out of um, a need that what I recognised was um, we do a lot of training with healthcare professionals around um, baby resuscitation, um, recognising unwell babies, stabilising unwell babies, um, uh, you know, those first response interventions. And it sort of occurred to me that while we were very busy training healthcare professionals, which is appropriate, maybe the people we really needed to teach these fundamental skills were, were the true first responders, which was not the paramedics, it was actually the parents. Um, so this really came out of a need that um, for parents. Um, and so I started teaching, it was when I was doing my PhD um, and I was working in a nursery and the paediatricians in the nursery said, um, oh, Rose, could you please teach the parents baby recess because you're really good at it and we're not and we don't really have the, the time and, you know, to put it. And so I developed a program for parents taking babies home from the nursery. And then from there it kind of got bigger and then the hospital I was working at said, well, couldn't you do this for all our parents for our antenatal? Sure. So kind of got bigger. And then um, I realised there was actually... Um, a real need for parents, particularly um, first-time parents, to learn basic baby information and skills. And COVID, strangely, has been um, a very strange time, obviously, but it actually has given, well, I've realised during COVID that parents weren't able to go um, in, well, they couldn't go for face-to-face -face education. Um, they didn't, their parents weren't able to come over to help them with the baby or their auntie or their sister. Um, they're at home by themselves. Um, their partners weren't allowed to go to antenatal visits, or haven't, still aren't allowed to. So they were even more isolated than ever before. And so then I expanded the program and developed more modules around it. And um, so that's where it's at. So, yeah, it's me who runs it. I'm the only, <laughs> I am the director, the sole employee, um, the secretary, the treasurer, um, the cleaner, the everything of the company. Um, but it's been something um, that I've really enjoyed doing and, um, as, again, something I didn't ever think about doing but has just uh, evolved naturally <laughs> out of a need and there and an increased need um, since the COVID-19 pandemic. It continues to show the ways that nurses and midwives are able to innovate and to, to be able yeah. to, to deliver care within the community. So thank yeah. you so much for doing that. Yeah. All good. <laughs> so, Rose, with... Being the year of the nurse and midwife and moving forward, what, what's coming up next for you? What, what are you hoping for after such a big career that you've had so far <laughs> and it's continuing to go on? What, what's up Retirement? next? Retirement? Uh, no. <laughs> um, look, I've got on my horizon. I, I've been asked to speak next year at an international conference in um, uh, in Athens, and this is one. Um, it's a, a European neonatal conference. It's one of I go to. Um, every year. Ordinarily, it's one I've spoken at a few times and I'm um, hoping to present some work I've been doing um, the last year here in Victoria for the Department of Health, um, developing guidelines for babies born at 22 to 24 weeks. So this is um, our most vulnerable tiny babies. And um, I've been doing some work around um, developing prediction models for these babies as well, um, developing resources for parents around what it means to have a baby born that early. So my, my hope is that maybe by October next year I will be able to actually go to this conference to present this work, but maybe not. So that's, uh, that's one thing. Um, of course, I'm writing grants <laughs> and hoping to get the ever-elusive funding 
um, and looking um, elsewhere for um, philanthropic and you know other um, potential sources. Um, building the um, the resources for the parent teaching. So I'm just kind of you know keeping my hand in <laughs> lots of little different projects. Um, and uh, where am I heading next? Uh, who knows? So I've been, but I think um, I think I'm not going to leave research while I can find any way of staying in it. Um, I, I care about it too much. Um, I've got too much more to do. I've got so much more to do, and so many more questions to answer. Um, so yeah, ask me again in a year, Ben, and uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe <laughs> another serendipitous moment will have come along. <laughs> With with yeah. this being Year of the Nursing Midwife as well and starting to get so much more awareness around our profession, where do you hope, for your sake, where do you hope neonatal uh, care and goes into in the future? Is there anything that you hope is going to be more awareness? Or... Oh, gosh, that's an interesting question. Um, mm, where do I hope it goes? I really hope more nurses see neonatal nursing as a profession, but not just a profession that necessarily you come into to become a clinical specialist in. Um, there are so many roles now within neonatal nursing, whether it's um, education, um, the ever-expanding role of the neonatal nurse practitioner, which has been fantastic, but that's finally really taking off. And we have some wonderful nurse practitioners on our team at Piper, um, and they replace the medical, as in they go out instead of the medical staff. They do all the advanced procedures, intubation, chest drain insertion, they give surfactant. Um, so that's, you know, another real exciting role. Obviously, there's the management side, um, there's education, um, there's clinical nurse specialists. Um, so I think people um, should really think about it as a career because it offers a huge range of opportunities um, within it. And, um, and that I would hope to see more neonatal nurses um, actively becoming involved in research and not seeing it as something that's really boring or something that's um, uh, that you need to be a brainiac to do, because if I can do it, anyone can do it, seriously. <laughs> um, and um, that they become excited um, and to see how research does inform their clinical practice and the clinical practice will inform the research. Because once you get the bug for it, um, yeah, you won't be able to stop. That's what I'd like to see. <laughs> Rose, thank you so much for everything you've done throughout your career and being the, the true professional inspiration that you are. Uh, so thank you very much for being on the ASIN podcast today. It's been <laughs> fun. Thank you so much, Ben, for having me. And um, happy International Year of the Nurse and Midwife to you and to all the listeners on your podcast. And good on you for um, a fantastic initiative this year for, for all of us, which, yeah, I've certainly loved listening to them. <laughs>